Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. So happy Palm Sunday. Here we are uh, at this moment, um, remembering Jesus' entry into Jerusalem Going in for that Passover week, going in what we're doing today, celebrating that God is in charge, that God had delivered the people from Exodus. That's what the Passover was all about, that God had heard the cries of God's people. Think about this for a second, friends. You can say a lot of things about God, but when you read the Bible, God hears the cries of his people. Abel, God said to Cain, where's your brother? I heard his blood crying up to me from the ground. Moses at the burning bush, uh, he hears the word of God saying, I have heard my people's cries. Hannah, an abused woman, abused in her marriage, abused in her home, and she went before the Lord and the priest said, oh, you're drunk, you're, you're carrying on. And she said, I'm just lifting my Words up to God, and God heard that prayer. God hears the cries of God's people. And so today we're in this series that we've been preaching, Life Between Two Gardens, uh, as we're here now at Palm Sunday, getting ready to enter Holy Week. Has there been a more important Holy Week for you than this? For me, this is my most important Holy Week in my life. Because we are leaning in deeply on the promises of God. Um, you know, where, where people thought, okay, here comes this Savior on a donkey. He's no big deal. You know, we're turning our attention to Christ. We're turning our attention to God of the universe that says, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. But here I am, your Savior coming to deliver you. And so I'm so thankful for all of you leaning in with us today. I've been getting emails. I was talking to Pastor Lori earlier today from folks all across the country saying, you know what, uh, Chip, we kind of thought it was a little weird when you left the corporate arena going into ministry, but we want to tune in right now. So all of us, let's tune in to this message that uh, Pastor Scott read for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Life between two gardens. We remember that life began in a garden. We remember that paradise was lost in a garden. And we remember now that Jesus goes to a garden right before he is, his earthly life is to be taken from him and prays for you and me. We used to sing a gospel song when I was in the early church. You know, somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind. They took the time and prayed for me. I'm so glad they prayed. Remember? I'm so glad Justin's like, Chip, quit singing right now. Stop it. Um, But you remember that? Somebody prayed for me. And we used to say, my mother prayed for me. My father prayed for me. The preacher prayed for me. But I'm going to tell you, when we get to that chorus, and it said, 
Jesus prayed for me. He had me on his mind. He took the time and prayed for me. That's what we have in the Garden of Gethsemane. At the last moment of his life, Jesus goes down on his knees and prays for us. And I call this the Garden of Ferocious Love. The Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Ferocious Love. I've been there five times, and I just, it's a place in the Holy Lands that I fall apart. We were getting ready to start another uh, Holy Land trip in 2021, but nobody's really ready to travel right now, so maybe it'll be 2022. But I, I just want you to look at a couple pictures from the Garden of Gethsemane that I had. That's, that's actually in the Church of All Nations. It's built on the spot where Gethsemane was, and there's a big rock and that rock is uh, in that garden. It's the only one. Some people believe maybe that's where Jesus went and knelt before that rock and prayed for us. We don't know, but it's a holy time, and we, we put our hands on that. And you can see in this garden that there are olive trees. Olive trees, uh, this olive tree particularly, its, its roots are dated, carbon dated, to 2,300 years ago. Olive trees don't live 2,300 years. But it's as though God left a little footprint that, you know what, Jesus prayed for you. This, this tree would have heard the prayers of Christ. And you can see the whole garden there, the, the olive garden. This is a, uh, the only olive garden on the Mount of Olives, so we know that. And then finally somebody put a plaque there, and they remembered what? Jesus prayed my Father, Abba, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. The most powerful prayer ever prayed at a moment that was pivotal for the world. And so today, as we're in the pandemic, as we're all concerned, I want to dig deep into this prayer. I don't know where you're at right now, but let me tell you something. If this moment has not moved you to pray, you know, I, I, prayer is the only thing that's going to get us through this. We need to move to a, to a position of prayer where we're reflecting with God, where we're talking to our Abba. I mean, Jesus models this for us. This is the night before he's going to die in his earthly life. And where does he go? To pray. So I, I, I hope all of you are going to pray. And Jesus gave us a model for prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer, right? We'll maybe pray it at the end of this message. But it was just a model. It was a blueprint. And in the middle of that prayer, what did he say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your will, God, be done. That's a tough prayer. I don't like praying that prayer, do you? <laughs> Sometimes I want to say, my will be done. God, hey, I got an agenda for my life. I would like you to kind of, you know, fit, fit this in. But Jesus said, no, our prayer life is surrender. Where we say, God, you know what I need better than I do. And I want your will to be done. That's a challenging prayer. But I want us today to dig deep on that in the sense of understanding where this happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm calling this the Garden of Ferocious Love. Ready? Three things I want to say. I won't be long. This is ferocious love at, in the midst of a furious fire. This is ferocious love 
at a decisive moment, and this is ferocious love that can trigger in you and I, ferocious faith. So let's start with that. This is ferocious love in a furious fire. When Jesus prays this prayer, he is in the midst of something that no human being has ever gone through. No pandemic, no world war, no nuclear warhead, nothing has ever experienced what Jesus did. He goes into the garden. If you read uh, the scripture, it says that as he went, right, sit here, he said to his disciples, I'm going to go over there and pray. And he began to be grieved and agitated. See, the English here really doesn't help us. The Greek there, to be grieved, means to be in agony. And to be agitated means to be horrified or to go into shock. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Now let's go to the next slide, and you will see what Jesus really said was he began to be in agony and horrified and shocked. Something came upon Jesus that made him stagger. Something came upon the Son of God, not you and me. We're all, you know, concerned. We're all the, but something came upon Jesus at that moment that horrified him, that, that made him go into agony, agony, that shocked him. In fact, when Luke says he sweated drops of blood, if you have a a physiologist or a doctor, they will tell you the only time that's even possible for us to sweat blood is if we went into shock. I mean, Jesus is staggering. He's in shock. What is happening to him? What is going upon the Son of God? He is experiencing the, what, what, what scholars call the judicial wrath of God against all human evil. That's what the cup was all about. The cup was a metaphor in the ancient Near East uh, for judgment. So when Socrates was killed, if you remember your Greek, he drank the cup of hemlock, right? Uh, You know, the cup in the prophets took this metaphor and said that the cup is the wrath of God. Like we deserve, you know, judgment against evil. We do evil things. Come on, somebody. You know you do. I do too. Um, and, and God does not delight in evil. And so Ezekiel 23 said that the cup of judgment will come and we will tear our breasts. Isaiah 51 says that the cup will come, the cup of fury, and we will stagger. And here's Jesus staggering, tearing his breasts. Because he is experiencing something that none of us have ever experienced. He's experiencing the wrath of God. He's experiencing God taking his presence away. And some scholars say, wait a minute, you know, some of Jesus' followers have handled death better than he does. I mean, here at this moment, he's staggering, he's, he's falling, he's flailing, right? He is, he is saying, now we all remember, and you know, here's the preacher that's going to tell you three times Jesus said, your will be done. But let me tell you something. Three times he also said, let this cup pass. So if you are crying out right now, let this cup pass. God, I, I, I'm fearful for my life. I don't know what I'm going through. Would you at least look for a moment that that prayer found its ways to Jesus' lips? He understands what you're going through. 
That's why even in slavery, the, 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 in, in, the, in, the, in America, the slaves could sing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody but Jesus. Let this cup pass. He prayed that three times. He understands that. And God right now is retreating from him. God's presence is retreating from him. Here's the thing. All of us go through suffering, but we know what? God is with us. That's Emmanuel. John Wesley, the the founder of Methodism, they say at the end of his life, he sat up in the bed and his last words were, the best thing of all is God is with us. And at this moment, Jesus is losing God. God is retreating from him. One, one scholar, uh, Bill Lane, said it this way, that Jesus isn't just crying out because he's going to physically die. He's crying out because he went for a little interlude with the Father who he had lived wholly for the Father all of his life. And Bill Lane said it this way, but at this moment before his betrayal, he found hell rather than heaven open before him. That he was willing to endure that for you and for me. This is ferocious love in a furious fire. He is experiencing hell itself. He is, he's, he's, he's willing to endure that for us, right? You know, where, where many followers were like, oh, I'll stand up for Christ. I was reading one of the early bishops of the church, Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna. And you're like, okay, Chip, I don't understand Polycarp. I don't understand Smyrna. It was one of the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And Polycarp was dragged out by the Roman Empire. And he was going to be burned at the stake because they said, if we can kill the head of the church, we can kill the church. And they dragged him into the arena. And the magistrate said, recount, you know, blaspheme Christ. Bow down to the Roman gods and you shall live. And Polycarp said, for 86 years I have served my Lord. And he has never done me wrong. How now could I betray my Savior and my King? And, and, and that's, that's his last words. And we're like, Polycarp did that. He wasn't crying. Let the cup pass. Let the cup pass. Because Christ was facing something that we deserve because of our separation from God. We talked about that in the Garden of Eden, that, that all of a sudden Jesus is experiencing the separation of God. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We're in the midst of something we don't understand. But God is with us. Can you imagine for a moment being in that garden and God not with you? That's what Jesus endured for us. This is ferocious love in the midst of a furious fire. We were built for the presence of God. We were to be in the presence of God. We were to be in the garden. And here's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and he's experiencing the absence of God. And he's willing to do it for us. Do you you understand the depth of this? That's why I cry in the Garden of Gethsemane when I go. Because I realize that Jesus said, you know what? Um, They're worth it. They're worth it. For the, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And at this moment when he began to sense this, this 
this horrible judgment, right? He, he prayed for us. God, not my way. I don't want to do this, he said. A lot of us are going through that. But not my way, but your way. So this is ferocious love at, in a furious fire. And I want to tell you, this is ferocious love at a decisive moment. Look when he prays this. He prays it when the disciples are asleep. The Roman guards haven't showed up. It's still dark. Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, evangelist, uh, American evangelist back in the 18th century, he's the only one I know preached on this. And you can Google it. It's Jonathan Edwards, Christ's Agony. One of the best sermons ever preached on the Garden of Gethsemane. And he preached that, you know, once you're nailed on the cross and then the wrath of God comes down, it's kind of too late. Now, we know that's a metaphor. Jesus could have come down from the cross. But he's saying at this moment, with disciples sleeping, with no Roman guards showing up, while it's still dark, he could have left. But he made a decision at that moment that you and I were worth it. So when I go into the Church of All Nations at Gethsemane, and I pray, and I, I, I literally feel Jesus saying, you know what, God? I know I could get out of this deal. I want this cup to pass. But Chip's worth it. He's worth it to me. You know, Lori's worth it. Scott's worth it. Terry's worth it. You're worth it. He's saying that in that garden. He's wrestling at this decisive moment where he, he could have left. And, and, and Jonathan Edwards says, you know, when Jesus said, nobody takes my life, I give it. This is the proof of that. At this moment when he saw the cup, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of hell itself, Jonathan Edwards says he's standing by the furnace and looking into it and knowing what he's going to go through. And God's saying, it's you or them. Somebody has to deal with this. You go into the furnace or they go into the furnace. Jesus said, I'll go for them. Do you understand the furious, ferocious love of God that he has for you right now? That he is willing to endure this. This isn't COVID-19. This isn't SARS. This isn't, you know, any kind of particular disease. This is hell itself. And Jesus said, I'll go for them. I remember a story out of World War II um, that was told about a POW camp, and there was a, a time where, you know, they were out digging shovels or whatever, and, and the uh, pe- people of the, of the camp found out that there was a shovel missing, and they were worried that somebody had stolen a shovel. So they lined up all the prisoners from the Allied forces, and they said, you know, we want to know who stole this shovel. Somebody stole this shovel. You're trying to build a trench to get out of this prison. And nobody would come forward. And they said, if you don't come forward, we're going to kill everybody. And suddenly a British soldier stood forward. And they killed him. And later when they recounted the shovels, they realized that there was not one missing. But somebody stepped forward to take upon them what had gone to the others. That's what Jesus does for us. He steps forward and says, I'll go, Lord. I'll go into that furnace. And let me give you some high theology, and then I'll bring this to a close. But Jesus, Paul tells us, is the second Adam. 
In Romans, he's the second Adam. What, do, what does Paul mean by that? He says, well, Adam was the first person. He was put in a garden, right? And he was told, obey me about the tree, the tree of life, the tree of good and evil. And God said to him, if you obey me, I'll be with you and I'll bless you. And Adam didn't. Do you understand Adam is just a representative for you and I? I mean, we have that in in our world. We have people who are representatives right now in Congress, and I'm not trying to get political, but in Congress, representatives and senators are advocating for us. They're representing us, and what they're deciding on falls on us, right? Parents, if you're a parent, I'm a parent. When my kids were being raised, what I decided to do would bless my kids or curse my kids. I was their representative, right? As a pastor, and and those of us who are pastors of this church, we're not any better than anybody, but we're your representatives. We go before God. So if I decided, oh, sure, let's all get together on Easter. I heard a pastor in Pennsylvania said, we're going to get together and go out and be a big Woodstock. I'm not judging people, but I'm saying if I make that decision, what I decide may fall on you, right? And Adam, what he did fell on us. And so God said, you're in a garden, here's a tree, obey me about the tree, I'll be with you, I'll bless you. And he didn't. And now look at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He takes Jesus, the second Adam, he puts him in the garden. And he says, obey me about the tree. But this is the cross. And he says, not only will I not be with you, I'm going to abandon you, You're going to experience hell itself, and I'm going to crush you into the dust. And Jesus obeys. You think about that. Adam, obey me about the tree. I'll bless you. I'll be with you. He didn't. Jesus, obey me about the tree. I'll leave you. I'll abandon you. And he does. Do you you sniff the ferocious love of God at this moment? Do you smell it? Do you sense it? And if Jesus endured this moment for us, what he won't do right now for you, what he won't do in this particular moment, he saw it, he sensed it. And and here's, I get some people say to me, I've had a lot of you talking to me and I love it. And Pastor Terry and Pastor Scott, Pastor Lori, Pastor Steve, all of us, we're hearing you. (coughs) You're connecting with us. You're emailing us. And somebody said to me, I don't know that I deserve the love of God right now. Somebody emailed me that, right? And you know what I said to them? Look at this story. What did the disciples do at this moment? Jesus said, Peter, James, and John, kind of important people in the church, more important than me. And what did Peter, James, and John do? Jesus said, this is my hour. I need you so much. Stay awake. What did they do? They fell asleep. And when Jesus came to him, what did he do? He said, oh, you're sleeping. Deal's off. I'm going to take that prayer back. I don't care about you anymore. No, what did he say? The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Do you hear what Jesus is saying is, I know you meant well. Look how gracious he is with us. So do you think at this moment, in this particular time, that Jesus is going to leave you when he didn't leave them? When they fell asleep at this moment, 
when he was facing hell itself? This is ferocious love at a decisive moment. And this is ferocious love for you and for me. And it is given for us in this garden of Gethsemane. Before he was nailed to the cross, before the crowds came, he made a decision. God, I don't want to do this. I want this cup to pass. But I'll do it for them. And that ferocious love, friends, last point, ferocious love in a furious fire, ferocious love at a decisive moment. Here's the last one. Ferocious love that can trigger ferocious faith. In the middle of the dark, Jesus made this decision for us. He was the same person as he was in the light, as he was in the dark. Who can say that? I can't. I fail that all the time. But Jesus is showing us when there's no payoff, when there's nothing in it for me, I can be faithful, God, for you. And that can give us an integrity that can help us to be a different kind of person. And right, you know, when we're out there in the light and there's people who have done us wrong or people who have injured us and we could be in the light saying, oh, you know, they're okay and we can talk all this stuff. But in the dark, can you forgive them? Can you love them? Can you wish God's will upon them? That's what Jesus is modeling out for us in this dark garden. And when I see him doing that for me, I can do it for you. And you can do it for me. And we can be the same person in the dark as we are in the light. And we can learn to trust God. That's a hard thing right now. People are, you know, how do you, I, I remember when I was going to seminary and I was leaving the corporate arena, I told my pastor, how do you trust God? He said, you just trust him. I don't want that. I want something more. But here's Jesus in the middle of the garden, trusting God, saying, God, it's not my way. I don't want this to happen. I don't understand what you're doing. I hope you hear Jesus saying that, but saying, but I'm going to trust you. Listen, he's modeling for us what I call emotional health. If you want to be emotionally healthy, guess what? You pray Jesus' prayer. Lord, let this cup pass. Jesus is screaming. He's yelling. I know some preachers out there say, oh, just keep a stiff upper lip. Never ask God why. That's ridiculous. Jesus asked God, hey, can we get out of this? Can we broker a deal? If you're not doing that, you're not human. And Jesus is wrestling, saying, God, I, I'd like to kind of, can we, can we change the... The narrative on this, can we move things over? That's part of our prayer life, right? He did that three times. And if you're not, he didn't put a happy face on it. He didn't say, oh, everything's great. You know, God loves me. He said, Father, let this cup pass. If you're not doing that, you're not being honest. And I want you to be honest before your Lord. But notice what he did say after that. Let this pass. I'm screaming. I'm yelling. I don't want to go through this, but your will be done. See, and if you can't get to that, you're never going to have peace either. Because if you can't get to the place after you scream, after you yell, to say, God, you're in charge. You're God. I'm not. 
I want your will to be done, what's going to happen? You're going to be bitter. You're going to be hard. You're going to be angry for the rest of your life. So the only way to peace is what Jesus is showing us here. God, I don't want to go through this. But your will be done. Put those two together and you will find medicine for your soul. You will find an ability to face even what we're facing right now, which isn't a flea bite compared to what Jesus faced in Gethsemane. So I, I, I pray that you will, you will begin to do that. That's what the Psalms do. If you read the Psalms, do you ever read them? It's, at the beginning of the Psalms sometimes it's like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And at the end they said, but I will wait upon the Lord and I will trust in him. Job said, though he slay me, though he kill me, yet will I trust him. And they get to that still water, those green pastures of peace. Because we say, God, I'm giving you all of my emotions. I'm in the garden here. That's why I cry in Gethsemane. I'm struggling with it, but I know you. Elizabeth Elliot was a wonderful uh, woman whose husband, Jim, was killed on a missionary journey. And she wrote these words. I just want to leave them with you before we close. She said, I dethrone God in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. Do you hear that? I dethrone God when I decide, hey God, you're not living up to my plans. And she said, it's the same spirit that taunted Jesus. Come down from the cross, right? Like, it, it, that, that's where I feel like I'm in charge. She said, this is unbelief. This is rebellion. An attitude that says, God, you have no right to do this. But listen to this. She said, but God is God. And if he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. And I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is ready infinitely immeasurably, unspeakably, beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. Can you get there? Can you say in the garden with Jesus, I don't want to go through this. I don't like being alone right now. I don't like washing my hands so much. I don't like looking out not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. But you know what, Lord? I know you. And I trust you. And I'm willing to say, in the midst of my own fears, somebody in the psalmist said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from what? All of my fears. God, I'm shaky. I'm panicking. I'm not sure what. But you know what? At the end of the day, your will be done. If you can pray that, new power will be released in your life. So I'm praying for you all right now, and I'm just going to end us right now, and I, I may screw this up because I'm infallible. <laughs> Not infallible, I'm fallible. <laughs> oh, I'm infallible. That sounded good. That was the little chip sneaking out. I'm fallible, but I want us to end with the Lord's Prayer today. Will you pray it with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Ready? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, this day, our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine, say it, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, go in peace, go in trust. Scream out, Palm Sunday, Lord, let this pass. And then say, but not my way, Lord. Your way be done. I hope that brings you some sense of confidence and peace today. We love you. We're praying for you. And let's close this worship as we gather together in song.